What we often see driving greenwashing is not necessarily organisations sitting down and saying, how can we mislead consumers? Often you might see an overexcited marketing team who are really proud of something that the organisation has done, who accidentally, you know, I think with the best will in the world, spotlight it, ignoring the other stuff that the organisation does. Hello, everyone. Welcome to GreenIO, the podcast for responsible technologists building a greener digital world, one byte at a time. On GreenIO, we explore how to reduce the environmental impact of our digital world. Our guests from across the globe share insights, tools, and alternative approaches, enabling people within the tech sector and beyond to boost digital sustainability. Hi, boss. Could we display our green hoster on our website? Well, not sure. I'm afraid of greenwashing. Hi, boss. Could we train our people in eco-design without bragging about it? Well, not sure. I'm afraid of being accused of green hushing. Hey, boss. Could we have a greener business travel policy? Well, not sure. I'm afraid of being labelled a green picker. Hey, boss. Will I ever get you green light on something? Well, not sure. I don't want to be accused of green lighting. Sounds familiar? Legal departments and top managers are growing concerned about communication on their environmental achievements and beyond on ESG topics. The growing pressure from activists makes them afraid of backlash. Plus, new regulations are out in France, in the UK with the Green Claims Code, soon in the European Union with its Green Claims Directive under construction, and maybe in the US with the FTC Green Guides being under revision. It makes companies cautious. For instance, INE, the Italian oil company, was recently fined 5 million euro for greenwashing attempts. Tech companies and IT departments are not immune to this recent shyness. How to communicate well about achievements when it covers only a fraction of the company's environmental footprint? How to motivate our stakeholders without being labelled greenwashers? To answer these questions, I've asked two renowned experts on greenwashing to join us, Ariad Kingabi and Mathieu Janish. I met Ariad via the Climate Action Tech community once again. She's based in London and she has been the co-chair of the Conscious Advertising Network for more than five years. That's the media side of the coin. But she is also now the head of ACT Climate Labs, a project powered by Media Bounty, which aims to improve the communication on climate change. That's a tooling up the movement side on the coin. And I discovered she used to hold a position as a sustainability strategist in 2012. Yes, 10 years ago, that was not common. Kudos for this. Mathieu is based in Paris. If you don't know where to find him, try LinkedIn. This is where we met. He spends quite a lot of time there, busting false screen claims and educating people via his straight-to-the-point posts and comments. Since he has graduated with a PhD in didactic and communication for science and techniques, he spent the following 25 years combining research and action as a consultant, focusing these last years almost 100% on responsible communication. Welcome, Ariette. Welcome, Mathieu. Thanks a lot for joining Greenio today. Thank you, Gail. Thank you for having us. So, to set the stage, I'd like to ask you my usual question. How did you become interested in sustainability? Did you experience some kind of light bubble moment? So, we were at school, we were a class of kids who weren't particularly well behaved, I have to say. And we had a, one of our science teachers was obsessed with climate change. And we worked out as a kind of collective of 30 kids, the only way to, uh, you know, to, to derail a lesson um, and to not have to do our science work was to get him talking about climate change. And I guess the um, flip side of that was that he was absolutely fascinating and he was so passionate about it it made me really interested in, in, in the topic. And I ended up studying environmental science at university. And spoiler, I am not very good at the science side, but I can talk about it. Um, so from there, it, um, you know, through kind of doing some technical jobs and working that out and then being pinched by the PR team because I could actually talk about some of the, some of the, uh, the science behind, uh, you know, the, um, what we were trying to do, I've ended up here. Um, and I'm forever grateful to uh, Mr. Brown, my, my chemistry teacher for that. You just need one teacher to change the world, huh? That's, 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 that's a very good story. <laughs> and what about you, Mathieu? Well, it was like um, an opportunity. I was uh, sensitive to environmental issues. 
because mostly when I was young, I spent a lot of time in doing outdoor sports. I was very keen on in doing sciences, and so that was my my, my studies uh, in hard sciences. And then I I met uh, I, I I've read some kind of research paper talking about how uh, the media are talking about environmental issues, and I said, "Wow, that's very cool! It means it seems something to be relevant and to be useful for society." And I would like to do that. And I applied to, to have funds. And so I could uh, do my PhD on those subjects. So that's how I, I became focused on, on this matter of environmental communications. So it has been since your PhD, 20 years ago, that you care about environmental communication. Yeah, nearly 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <What? laughs> I, I, I was trying. I to be a good a good host here. <laughs> But okay, let's go for the hard <laughs> truth. 25. <laughs> so I'd like to see the, the opportunity to have both of you here to ask you some clarifying question. And maybe my, my, my first and most obvious one is what is greenwashing and all the other subspaces which appeared recently? Maybe Ariette, could you shed some highlights on all these new terms? Yeah, of course. So there's a lot, there's quite a few different ways of defining greenwashing. And there's um, lots of different frameworks that actually you can use to look, to look at. But there's some particularly egregious practices um, that we see very, very commonly. So actually, it's less common than you think to see um, just lies uh, you know, out, out there in the, in the world. What we often see driving greenwashing is not necessarily organizations sitting down and saying, how can we mislead consumers? Although there is definitely that. Um, often you might see an overexcited marketing team who are really proud of something um, that the organization had done, who accent, you know, I think with the best will in the world, spotlight it, ignoring the other stuff that the organization does. So think of an airline company, for example, um, you know, kind of talking about their vegan meals. And the problem is with even these um, kind of quite innocent, well, I say innocent, this is not innocent, but like, you know, these, these, these kind of well-meaning things is that they mislead consumers. And that's the heart of this. And Mathieu, I know you've got very strong opinions about it. So things like, you know, spotlighting issues that aren't that relevant, things like shifting blame onto the consumer. Now, that's a very measured one. Think about Coca-Cola telling you their bottles are recyclable, but actually not doing anything about you know, reducing the plastic bottles that they produce. You gave examples within um, your introduction, Gail, where actually organizations don't, you know, don't talk about all the good stuff that they do or they, you know, because they actually, um, you know, they're, they're, they're afraid and they, they're missing out on an opportunity not only to normalize the fact that organizations are kind of, you know, a lot of organizations are considering kind of sustain, sustainability, but also to talk to consumers about ways um, that they can, that they can, you know, better. So, At the core of this all is, um, you know, kind of actually organizations talking about these issues in a way that's not helpful, that doesn't move, um, you know, doesn't enable consumer behavior change, doesn't change the behavior of the organizations themselves, um, and is confusing, confusing and misleading. And, you know, the EU, um, kind of in updating their green claims quite recently, found, I think, that 40% of green claims are completely unfounded, use vague and misleading language. I mean, that's a huge one um, that we'll get into in a little bit. And so what's happening is actually this is not helping the cause. Consumers are overwhelmed. They're stressed out when they try and make these choices. And, you know, frankly, as marketers, we've got to do a lot better. That's crystal clear. And fun fact, I didn't know that green lighting existed. I made it as a joke. <laughs> oh, to yeah. give the oh, yeah. no, 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 it exists. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's excellent. So uh, I, <laughs> I'm clever than I thought. Okay, uh, but I'm actually I'm luckier than I thought. Uh, but well, thanks a lot, Ayed, because yeah, wow, 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 quite a lot of um, definition concept. And Mathieu, she mentioned that you've got strong opinion on it as well. Could you share it with us, please? Yeah, well, I'm. Talking with, with brands, uh, whether CSR teams or marketing or communications team or even the legal department, I'm defining greenwashing as any message that may mislead the public about uh, the true ecological quality of a product or service or about the reality of the company's sustainable development policies and approach. So 
greenwashing um, is something that could be relevant at the product or service level or at the at the corporate level. And then, yes, you have different ways of falling into this trap. And and uh, uh, Ariad gave a, uh, a number of uh, of examples. And so this can be something very tricky. And I just try to to make sure that these people understand that it's it's a it's a matter of do the public will be able to understand the 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 quality of my product or my CSR strategy or do I mislead or give false information or not quite clear proofs etc. Mathieu, do you follow here? I, I found this article, um, so there, there's several of them who wrote it in the uh, European Environmental, uh, I think it's Environmental Science Europe, uh, from the uh, Freitas, Neto, uh, Sobral, and uh, the other one, I need to check my notes, I must admit, uh, Ribeiro. But at anyway, they, they, they were explaining that you've got, they did a systemic review and they made a distinction between Uh, company-level uh, greenwashing and product-level greenwashing, and they also made a sub-distinction between executional and claim. Is it, is it a framework that you use uh, somehow as well? Not really. Well, of course, we are talking about that because uh, uh, sometimes uh, companies are, are asking for my advice regarding sustainability claims related to a product, and sometimes it's about the, the whole CSR strategy. But uh, I believe that they have to understand the, uh, the philosophy of the issue regarding greenwashing. And that is, do, do I give enough information and am I clear enough uh, about what I do and what are the characteristics of my products and services and, and, and my, my strategy? And uh, I try not to be too complicated about definitions about uh, uh, categories, you see, but to, to, to take examples and to make them understand, better understand why people could react uh, like this or like that in reading uh, their, their contents. And it could be texts or images, of course, and both. So um, um, I, I try to, to leave the, uh, a posture that could be too analytic to go to something more practical. And could you give us one example, and I will ask Arya to share another one after, about uh, good practices. Like you said, you need to give the consumer the, the, the right information, the good information, not to mislead them. But how do you do that? So in my opinion, and the first point I would like to say is that it's really important to give good examples because it's more easy to uh, critique And to do this is not good, and this is misleading, and you should not have uh, written this like that, etc. Uh, but it's important to to show uh, good, inspiring examples. But that doesn't mean that the company itself is uh, green. It's just that this particular campaign or this particular message is well written, and uh, it's interesting to see both creativity. And, and the respect of deontological and, of course, uh, about the law. And uh, so some, some examples, it's, it's also a kind of posture of communication. When I read the, the, the content, the, the, the LinkedIn post, for example, I can understand that the company has understood the ecological issues as a whole and the company is not only focusing on climate for example and on climate they are not talking about neutrality uh, etc and um, uh, some good example in the in the tech uh, sector if uh, i'm sure you know about infomaniac something that is interesting is that on their they've got an environmental uh, page uh, the title is we pollute yes We know our activity is, is polluting, and what do we do to reduce that? And so uh, they are not trying to hide the fact that maybe they are compensating, or even that's why they do. Uh, but you see, so, so that, that's interesting. On, in another sector, in the, in the, in the apparel sector, uh, a brand called uh, Organic Basics, if you go to their uh, environmental report or CSR report, 
they are talking about there's a chapter about our fuck-ups. Uh, and that's something very interesting, in my opinion, because they are okay to talk about what they wanted to do and what they failed to do, about some goals they had that was not relevant to, do, to, to have those goals, uh, such as a goal of neutrality. Now they are, s they are saying, no, it was not a good idea, and now we will be talking about the reduction of our carbon footprint, for example. And what is interesting with this example is, so it's kind of, I don't know if it will be the case for the entire episode, but I'm pretty sure you pick uh, organic um, basics from the entire CSR strategy, but actually in the tech sector, and especially in the sustainable design uh, sector, uh, yeah, they've got their websites. Yeah, they've, they've got, yeah. They've got, they're pretty famous yeah, for their course, website. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I, I don't know if that was done on purpose. Working. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Now, because they're, they're very good, and that's interesting because they are they are they are talking about what they do in in a way that is uh, original, and and they are trying to 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 propose a, a, a new e-commerce website, and that's very that's very good. I think they try to be very consistent. And I, I guess, because I'm not an expert in communication, that's something very important. Uh, maybe, Ariette, do you want to comment on it and also share some positive examples? It's, it's way easier for people to understand. Yes, I completely agree. Let's talk about what's good. I mean, it's not in the tech sector, and but I do think that Oatly, with their, and excuse excuse this, but their fuck Oatly um, kind of uh, kind of campaign are really really interesting in terms of the way that they are radically transparent about um you know kind of what they what what their fuck-ups have been essentially um and where they where they've got things wrong and where there's the, either been um a backlash where consumers have felt um misled and what's interesting about i think oatley's consumers is that they are vocal um they are probably way more switched on to kind of environmental issues than your average But, um, you know, kind of rather than, and I think that can be where some of the fear comes from when organizations are trying to talk about their green credentials is that they go, oh my gosh, there could be a backlash and you will always have people who are super critical. That's, you know, that's the nature of um, passion. Um, but what Oatly have done is they've really owned that. They've listed their, their, their failures and they've said, look, this is how we've learned in response. Um, and here, by the way, here's some of the press and here's some of the comments that we've received so that you know what we've, we've talked about. And I think things like that, the brand are very, very good at um, being honest, talking you know, and turning that into a real, um, you know, a real virtue. And I just think it's, it's, it's very, very, it's very, very good. Um, and I think if more organizations were, um, I think, honest about their mistakes, um, then, and, you know, kind of address them in that way head on, then I think we could have a much more mature conversation because also people could learn from others. On a much more kind of subtle note, there is a really great example recently of Samsung on their in their washing machines um, range, using um, you know actually using the the, um, the legal uh, kind of status of their of their kind of the, the energy consumption of a particular product to talk about you know kind of why that product was better you know actually kind of that product had a had a had a benefit to consumers and was environmental so. The organization leaned into the, you know, the A, the, you know, the, kind of the, the, the really high rating of their, um, of their washing machine um, and actually used that to make a green claim about how this could help consumers. And I think from a, you know, not from a fancy, we're a super environmental leader kind of way, but we're, we've got a claim here that's, that's factually correct, that looks at the, um, usage, you know, the full usage cycle of the product and is you know, kind of beneficial to consumers. I think that's a really, really good example. So, you know, you don't have to be a super ethical brand um, and you don't have to be doing something that's completely beyond the pale to make a really good, solid green claim that consumers, um, you know, kind of can really, um, you know, kind of see the benefit of. Yeah, it makes crystal clear. Actually, I wanted to ask you the questions a bit later, but it's so fascinating that I'd like to ask you if you would be okay to work pro bono for non-existing company today. But I, I would love to give you two, three cases where I've been struggling with the people I was working uh, with on how we should or we should not communicate. And of course, it's mostly um, examples coming from the tech sector. But I guess you can 
you can you can apply it to all, all sectors. Would you be okay for to 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 be our advisors today? Let's do it. Yeah, sure. So, a very easy one to start uh, to warm up is I want to put something on my website claiming that I've got a low carbon website. Unfortunately, sometimes people they use a, a green website, and actually that's the case. You know, you can. I don't know, use uh, the World Grain um, um, website, a carbon website estimator or uh, the green IT.F uh, ratings, and, and you've got a good rating. So that, that's, that's an honest claim, okay? The problem is your IT department, you're in the transport sector, for instance, uh, and the IT department is something like 5%, maybe 10% of the entire, no, not even, not even 10, but something like 5% of the entire greenhouse gas emissions of your company, Scope 1, 2, 3 uh, included. What would you advise the company to do? Should they, should they put the label? Should they don't? Should they put it but with a specific way to communicate that, you know, they know that it's not like the main emissions, but still they're doing some efforts? What would be your advice? Both of you, maybe starting with uh, Mathieu. Mm, my advice would like to, if you have somewhere where I can understand uh, what is your uh, strategy to, to, to lower your, your impact regarding climate change and also other impacts, okay? Because unfortunately, climate change is not the only ecological issues we are facing. Then this claim uh, regarding the, the low impact website is interesting because it's true and because every single act counts. So um, the, the idea is to put this information in regard, in, in, in comparison with the whole strategy and that we understand as, as uh, visitors of your website or, or as clients of this company that uh, this is not your main uh, action to reduce your impact and that you are clear about that. Order of magnitude are explained. Yeah, it cannot be the only element regarding your CSR strategy, but if it's one element among others and that we do understand that the majority of impacts are elsewhere, then that's, it's okay to put it on your website. Okay, Ariette, do you want to add something? So yeah, I would say that what Mathieu said, obviously, um, and then you know adding that extra element of your audience on there because obviously, as uh, you know, from when you learn your kind of skills as marketers, you always start with your with your audience. So I would say, you know, all of what Mathieu said, but also tailored and adding value to your audience. So whether your audience is a stakeholder, whether it's a you know kind of B two B customer, or whether it's a consumer, um, so that they can understand. Um, what, exactly what is what is being said, exactly what the benefit is, not only to, um, you know, the kind of the wider the wider environment, but also to themselves. Um, because I think it's very, very important um, that when we're communicating all of this stuff, we absolutely we have that theory, that structure right. But we don't forget the mark, you know, what we've been taught in marketing. We don't forget to add value for the audience we're talking to. That's very interesting that you mentioned the audience because actually that connects with my uh, second use cases, which happens quite a lot. You're um, a startup, maybe a scale-up, but you're not that big, you know, in the tech sector. And you don't have that much leverage. All your tech stack is on AWS, Google Cloud, or whatever. You do what you can, but you're in this kind of growth mode, etc. That could, we could, discussed a lot about the gross mode of uh, the tech sector, but that, that's not the point here today. Anyway, there is this huge challenge of employer branding and committing your employee beyond just what your startup is trying to achieve. And being very sincere, you've got the HR, the lead, who comes back to you and say, well, we've run all this training or this awareness uh, workshop, like, you know, the digital collage, the climate fresque, etc. We, we, we've been truly committed to that because 100% of our employees have followed those workshops. Uh, we, we allow them some time also to volunteer, whatever, etc. Uh, I need to be more vocal about it because I need to strengthen my uh, employer branding. I need to attract younger people, more uh, engaged people, etc., etc. What should I do? Because that's pretty much the only stuff that you've done at least as a CTO, raising awareness, you don't have that much time or that much money or that much uh, leverage on reducing the rest of your carbon footprint. 
So to be honest with you, the best ideas for how to make your organisation more sustainable are going to come from people who are specialists who are working in these impact areas. And I think a lot of organisations miss a trick because they have a couple of people who work on the sustainability of the organisation and they don't leverage that incredible hive mind. So what I would always always suggest is that there's two, uh, you know, I guess there's two sides to this. The first of which is that if organisations, particularly tech organisations who are so innovative, um, aren't lever- you know aren't using that innovation lens to you know kind of get get these better ideas from employees and create networks of people within their organisation who are uh, you know kind of like you know making suggestions and making things better, then they're missing a trick. So that's number one. But that then spills over into your kind of employer in, employer branding, as you said, because you have then you have really beautiful, credible um, you know kind of stories and uh, you know kind of and lots of advocates within the organization, um, you know, who can kind of do your work for you. So yes, you can have something that says, yes, you know, kind of this is this is what we do. And as long as that plan is credible and it is, you know, kind of backed up and there's a strategy behind it and it deals with your main impacts, um, then actually what happens is, you know, you start to have points where if the employee, if the potential employee starts to ask at interview stage, well, what actually do you do around sustainability? You might have an advocate in the room. And one of the interviewers, um, someone in the room might be able to just say, hey, you know, like, actually, we're doing this this thing. I've suggested this thing or I'm starting this initiative and it starts to pay dividends. So I think it's not just a communications thing here. It's about, you know, how you foster those networks of innovation within a company. Yeah, for sure. So you would be pretty open communicating that that's a first step and and we can we can we can communicate about it, not being at risk of being labeled uh, I don't know, <laughs> green something. <laughs> I think like, um, you know, just to add to that, because uh, in the Conscious Advertising Network, there's a lot of kind of culture, culture change, behavior change that comes along with a lot of what we do. And, um, you know, for those that don't know, we've written these manifestos um, that um, give, um, you know, kind of advertisers, CSR departments, etc., kind of a plan for how to make their advertising more in line with human rights and solving climate change. So, You've got the guidance there, but we found the most effective, um, you know, kind of organisations within within our membership group have actually kind of created these kind of cross department working groups, you know, that are that are looking at how they implement these, you know, the, these strategies. So yes, as a first, as a, as an absolute first kind of port of call, I think it's worth doing a a sense check of of, of kind of, I guess what you're uh, of what you're doing. Um, you know, kind of whether the strategy or the communications that, you know, are going externally do match up um, because it is so, so important that what's being said and what's being done are um, are matching up. And that will make it so much easier to make really credible green claims and to do this stuff well. And so, Mathieu, would you put some pictures of these workshops, Climate Fresque, whatever, etc., cetera, uh, on the website uh, or on the sustainability uh, strategy page, for instance? My first reaction to this case uh, would be that I don't quite see how a company could uh, organize training and workshops without changing and thinking about a CSR strategy, even if it's at the beginning. And uh, so I'm sure that a a startup that uh, would organize all those training sessions, uh, just like I had said, uh, some some people would say we have to we have to to continue and to work together and we have to uh, do things about uh, transportation about our business model about so I'm sure there would be other things to talk about more than only only the the HR uh, activities you see you understand and so yeah in my opinion it's always uh, good to talk about what you do. Uh, the idea is not to let the people think that this will save the planet or that's, that uh, is making you a green company. So it's to talk at the level of uh, what you are doing and, uh, and, and what, what are the values created, uh, what are the, the, the lowering of the impacts on, on the environmental or social or, or, or societal uh, issues. And so my answer is yes, yes. All will be in the words that you will use to talk about that. 
Yeah, context and an uh, order of magnitude, basically, like uh, in a bit of humility. Uh, I, I can, if I can read between the lines. Okay. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah. Okay, that was rooted in reality for me, and I'm pretty sure for a lot of uh, the people listening. Before we we jump on the last part of the of this interview, and we talk a bit about legals. Yeah, I'd like to um, uh, grant you a, 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 a treat, huh? which is, can do you want to share uh, your worst case? Huh? Because we said we, we, we started with positive examples, and that's definitely what we should do. But if you've got to pick only one massive, massive uh, green greenwashing uh, advertising or claims or whatever, what will be your champion? <laughs> okay. Um Can I take two lenses on this? Um, so my first, um, I think what we haven't talked about, and I'd, I'll just chuck this in here, um, is that as well as the kind of greenwashing that organizations might do, you know, intentionally or inadvertently within the creative of their, um, of their, of, of their kind of communications, I mean, my specialty is, is advertising. So I'm going to talk from that angle. There is also the issue of when organizations don't think about climate and other forms of kind of environmental misinformation in their media strategies. So to give a bit of background, advertising essentially funds our media, uh, you know, so funds the cat videos that we we watch on the way to work, uh, also funds our newspapers. And the, um, you know, kind of when we only think about the uh, content of our, um, you know, kind of in this case, advertising, we're missing a trick. So what we often see is we will have organizations with a real kind of like, you know, amazing environmental kind of, you know, kind of amazing CSR strategies. Um, and we will see them um, inadvertently funding climate denial content or anti-science content on, um, you know, on, online usually or occasionally on television. And so the worst things I've seen are, you know, brands such as, and I'm so sorry to name you guys, um, you know, but Lush and Ecosia um, on things like, you know, kind of cl climate, uh, you know, kind of climate change is a hoax online. And I think this is a risk that we haven't necessarily talked a lot about yet. And it's not greenwashing per se, but it's, um, you know, just a, a kind of institutional failure to think about, um, you know, kind of this, dis what we call a disinformation economy. Um, because it's also, you know, the, this kind of horrendous content out there that's being produced deliberately to um, confuse people, deliberately to mislead them as well. So as organisations, when we're thinking about how we tackle greenwashing, we should think about the wider context of mis and disinformation as well. Um, and then just in terms of ad, you know, advertisements, I think that the recent rule, ASA ruling in the UK around HSBC was really, really um You know, it, it, it's, it's a real kind of warning shot for um, high carbon organizations and organizations that invest really strongly in the fossil fuel economy. This was essentially kind of, um, you know, kind of HSBC spotlighting its, its, its kind of, um, you know, kind of sustainability credentials and what it invests and what it invests in while simultaneously investing hugely in, you know, kind of fossil fuel projects. And the ASA specifically called them out for that. And I think that, you know, it is just everything that is wrong with that most that that you know kind of worst kind of greenwashing where a, a brand essentially launders its reputation by spotlighting something whilst having this incredibly uh you know profound and you know kind of impact on 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 the on the planet we live in and on the people that live on it so those are the two for me so Mathieu, you've got the right to share your two favorites as well and the HSBC case is very interesting I've seen it as well and I really wonder how we will develop in France as well because we do have the same issue with with banks and actually with I guess very honestly with teams in banks that are 100% sure that they are doing everything they could to save the planet and you know a few folks next door or in, in the next building uh, doing the absolute opposite and, and they don't talk to each other it's a big organization so you know they stand on their feet both of them they're pretty sure of themselves and that creates a lot of confusion uh, in the public but anyway that, that was me um, commenting on it but Ma Mathieu what are your two favorites? Yeah my two favorites would be the, the uh, one advertisement from Adidas in France uh, regarding the new Stan Smith that was uh, supposed to be uh, a, a five 
um, 50% recycled and uh, mostly without. So, so the claim itself was not really clear. The, the consumer could not know the exact proportion of the shoe that is made from recycled materials, whether plastic or other materials. But the, the main issue regarding this, this ad, and you can find uh, this logo on, uh, in the stores, in Adidas stores, it's a, a, a logo with the shape of the earth saying, and plastic waste, meaning with Adidas, in buying those shoes, we will end plastic waste. So it's, it, it's a very big problem because those shoes are not recycled, recyclable at the end of life. So this is totally misleading the public. So that's the first one because it's a huge brand and known all over the world. And th the second one is, is also, it's, it's from um, Volotea, uh, an, air, an air travel company. And their slogan was, it was a, a kind of uh, a, a concours. I don't know how you say that in English. And the ad was saying, I would love to connect with nature. Please fly me directly to Lyon, Vienne, Milan, etc. And, and you could pick up your destination. Even if you were living in Paris, y you could take a, 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 an airplane to go to Lyon. So, so you see, and, and it was about reconnecting with nature take your plane to do that and so to me it's a it's a very good example of the non-understanding of all our issues and that firstly taking a, um, a plane is, is is a problem is very impactful but talking about nature about reconnecting with nature in taking a plane this is something that it says to me wow you don't understand at all what we are facing today two very clear examples so and i will of course put uh, all the links to these different examples and rulings uh, in the show notes as usual with uh, all the other references that you shared and now i'd like to share an experience that many uh, of you have already uh, done i guess or not many of you but some of you have already done um, if you're based in France, or if you're not based in France, but you use a VPN with a French IP address, you just land on the Google homepage, and, and you will see a statement, a link to what we do when it uh, comes to sustainability, and a link to the sustainability strategy uh, page. If you do the very same exercise with a US IP address, or uh, actually from quite a lot of other parts in the world, you will see a very different claim Exactly the same uh, font being used, exactly the same place in the homepage, which is carbon neutral since 2007. And of course, the reason is that uh, recent laws in France prevent such claims uh, without uh, strong backing. And I found it a beautiful example of what is coming from many companies uh, with the legal framework, the legal regulation, the new regulations and, and the legal environment uh, that they, they will be facing more and more. So, Ariette, Mathieu, maybe could you highlight the, the main developments? Where does it happen? Is it mostly in Europe, in the US, in Asia, some, some other places in, in the world as well? And what are the main regulations that uh, companies should be aware of right now, uh, existing or coming? So, I'm not a legal expert. I'll start by saying that. Um, but, you know, I think to be to understand this space, you do have to understand a little bit of the legal kind of background. So, um, you know, forgive me, the legal experts out there. I am a comms person trying to explain it simply. So what we've got is this, this rapidly changing landscape. The EU has released a kind of um, essentially a roadmap, um, a, you know, kind of a, a directive that's that's kind of showing the direction of travel. Um, and this, this kind of direction of travel is essentially one that, that means that um, you know, these, there's going to be stronger and stronger and more precise kind of um, regulations around, um, you know, around greenwashing. And the way that they've done it means that um, you know, they've set a direction of travel, which is that things like um, you know, kind of vague and misleading terms. You talked about the carbon, carbon neutral one there, which I would um, absolutely uh, challenge anyone to define what carbon neutral really means and tell me what methodology there is for kind of getting there. And of course, that those kind of vague terms, that's exactly what they're designed to do. And that's exactly why they're misleading and confusing. Um, you know, so those kind of terms will not be will will, will not be allowed. Um, 
there's um, individual countries will need to adapt to this direction of travel to their own kind of countries and to their own legal systems. So obviously we will have different uh, different interpretations and different enforcement across Europe. But, um, you know, organisations do really need to be, uh, you know, kind of looking at this space and listening to what, you know, the, what, what, what the communications that are coming out from the EU. And we will, you know, we're all waiting, we're all waiting for them to kind of firm up. In the UK, um, what we are seeing is actually, um, you know, the ASA and the, um, uh, and the CMA are um, starting to actually kind of define where they're going through these kind of landmark rulings. Um, there have been several recently um, that are kind of setting a precedent for where we think they're going. And I used the HSBC example before of, you know, organisations who are, you know, that, uh, you know of, of them kind of signalling that they are kind of cracked down on, on organisations who are spotlighting particular you know, kind of green, green, green things whilst ignoring the rest of the kind of, you know, the product life cycle or the usage life cycle, for example. And there was a recent ruling around Shell, which, um, you know, I think um, everyone in my in my uh, kind of climate social circle was very happy to see where, again, they're signalling that this kind of greenwashing from high, from fossil fuel companies just isn't going to be allowed. They're talking about, um, you know, kind of much stronger fines and much stronger enforcement around that so it is a really you know kind of big business risk for you know for organizations but what we know today is that it's going to look different across different markets um you know the u.s continues to um with the political developments in the u.s um you know so republicans are have majority control of the house we're seeing um you know i don't think we're seeing an appetite for leadership there frankly um you know we've got um, many organizations that work in the mis and disinformation space are um you know kind of being are, are being asked to provide huge amounts of documents in you know to to the um the you know the kind of the US political system so i still see europe as um leading in the leading in this space you know kind of close markets such as the uk keeping a very keen eye on what's happening and and probably you know kind of copying and using some of that and i see um markets like the states um you know kind of being being laggards Mathieu would you like to comment on this one My questions now regarding this uh, this hardening of the of the regulatory framework in France, in Europe, and abroad, is uh, um, it's a good thing to 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 have new rules and and hard law tackling climate change, but the issue is uh, what resources will be available to enforce the law, uh, both on financial and human resources, and for instance in France. This uh, the, the neutrality claim is now now strictly uh, framed, but I can still see those claims in packaging uh, for bottled water, for example, a and I don't know whether the, the 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 directorate in charge of protecting the consumers uh, are willing to uh, fight against that and to and to make the law uh, being applied. So that's 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 a, a question for me. At, at the European level, they are talking about having claims and labels to be checked by an independent and accredited verifier. And I don't know how this will be done. Uh, you have a, a very big number of companies that are communicating about their, their engagements, etc. And... Uh, Does that mean that every single claim will have to be checked by an independent party? And which one? And how much this will cost? So that's a very important sign that is sent by the European Union that greenwashing is not an option and that it's, uh, um, it's uh, a drawback to, 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 to the fight against climate change and against transition. So it's important to fight it. But... I'm waiting to see the, the final text and how it will be applied and followed by, by all the authorities. Quick comment on this because, A, you're right. I mean, you need to have some resources to check and the willingness to check. I mean, I've discovered very recently that less than 10% of the French companies that are now legally required by law to disclose their uh, carbon emissions have been fined because the... Ministry of uh, Economy is still in uh, educational mode. 
I'm sure that a lot of the other French taxpayers will uh, enjoy knowing that they can be in educational mode because most of the time they're not with us. But um, that's me being maybe too populist. So sorry about that. But I was really upset when I when I saw that. And um, and, and the second stuff is like if you don't provide resources, I mean this controlling body. If you've got like twenty. Uh, uh, civil servants uh, to, to deal with a million claims per year. Obviously, that's also a very efficient way for nothing to happen. But do you have um, also some ideas on, about the level of the fine? Because, uh, I mean, GDPR, for instance, really changed the game because for the very first time, we were talking about real money. But not real money for Facebook or Google because uh, 4% is still small potatoes for them. But like, for a lot of big tech companies, Getting a huge fine, which is a percentage of your uh, revenues, that's something very serious. That's a very tangible risk. Do you know something about the potential fine on greenwashing? Uh, we have, we have, uh, we had examples from the past, uh, the recent past. In Italy, for example, Eni was fined uh, uh, five million euros because of, of uh, misleading claims, and in the Netherlands last year, H and M and Decathlon. I had to pay uh, 400,000 and 500,000 euros uh, to NGOs to avoid being sued by the uh, uh, authority in charge of protecting consumers. So that can be uh, huge amounts. And that's another, um, that's another interesting point regarding the, 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 the regulation is that NGOs will be more and more entitled to sue big companies. Yeah, that's a very positive message, at least for the B2C uh, sector and the B2B company which have some kind of uh, uh, public visibility because the, then the, the B2B sector is not really the one that the NGO will go after because they, they need also some publicity to to, uh, to keep the ball rolling. But yeah, but, but still, still a, a very positive signal indeed. Okay, so... Ooh. I learned a lot <laughs> during this episode. And actually, I learned very tangible stuff that I think I will apply with uh, uh, some of my uh, clients and partners. So uh, thanks a lot for that. Maybe one final question to uh, both of you, Ariette and Mathieu. You shared a lot of resources. We will put them in the show notes. I've already mentioned that. Do you want to add one or two uh, podcasts, uh, books, articles, thought leaders that you, you believe people should uh, follow when it comes to uh, greenwashing? And, and I would say on a more positive note, responsible communication. Um, sure. This is such a rapidly developing area. Um, for anyone um, that is on the kind of green on the on the kind of the greenwashing front, um, Act is Act is kind of hosted within an organisation called Media Bounty. It's an ethical ad organisation. We are doing a um, a ser you know a series of um, kind of thought piece of thought leadership pieces about navigating greenwash. So go to Media Bounty's website, um, and there's a there's a an event coming up in London on the on the 29th as well for anyone that, that's based there. I do think that it is really worth following the you know the the rulings of the some of these these um kind of bodies. So you know go, going to the ASA's websites and looking at rulings around greenwash. I think looking at organizations. So if you're you know if you're look if you're a kind of um working in in, in advertising and comms and you want to look at ways of doing things well. There's um, a community of, of people called uh, Clean Creatives, uh, sorry, Creatives for Climate, of which um, who have a, um, you know, kind of have a network. And it's, it's a network of practitioners who are sharing good practice, sharing bad practice and looking at how they can support each other. So, you know, I think if you're working in this space and you want to be connected to a community, I would definitely go to Creatives for Climate and have a look at what's on there. Mm, uh I would like to point out uh, a really good newsletter dedicated to the fight against greenwashing. The name is The Crisps, and uh, it's a newsletter made by uh, Lavinia Mutt and Talita Hacking. And these are two girls working in the marketing and communication sector, especially in the apparel industry. And they are... Uh, sending to you one newsletter per week per, per month and two if you if you buy the the pro the pro format of the of the newsletter and uh, that's really good 
crispy content, <laughs> very good content regarding greenwashing. Thanks a lot, Mathieu and Ariette, for joining Green.io and sharing all these uh, new references uh, on top of the others. Uh, I hope that you will uh, keep on carrying the torch of uh, responsible communication as high as possible. And I do hope that uh, Green.io will help you uh, carrying it a bit higher after the release of the episode. Thanks a lot. Oh, thanks so much, Gail, and thanks for everyone for listening. It's been great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Green.io episode. In episode 24, we talk about IT sustainability in software-as-a-service companies with Therese Gaile, the lead author of the Sustainability Guide for Salesforce Technology, and Nicholas Sundberg, the author of Sustainable IT Playbook for Technology Leaders. Stay tuned. In a forthcoming episode, we will talk about data for good with Anastasis Stamis, Lou Velgrin, and Theo Alves da Costa. You can drop a question in an Apple review of the podcast and we'll do our best to answer it. And before you leave, a small message from our sponsor. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Green.io is a free and independent podcast and so we need your help to keep it that way. You can help us by supporting us on TP. The link is in the episode notes. I also give online and on-site conferences and facilitate workshops about climate change and digital sustainability, so do get in touch if that interests you. It's a good way to allow me to keep investing in the podcast. Full disclosure, each episode takes me roughly 15 hours of work, finding the guests, convincing them, researching the topic, etc. And it costs between three and 400 euros to produce. So now you know. But... If you cannot donate, that's fine. You can support us by spreading the word. Rate the podcast five stars on Apple and Spotify. Ask a friend to do it too. Each vote is worth a thousand likes on YouTube, believe me. Sharing an episode on social media or directly with a relative is also more effective than many ads. Seriously, thanks for your support. It means a lot to us. Us being me, but also Tani Levitt, our amazing podcast producer, and Gilles Tellier, our amazing podcast creator. And stay tuned by subscribing to our Green IO monthly newsletter to be launched in October, but the link is already in the episode notes. But you already know the drill. You will get carefully curated contents, episode wrap-ups, and exclusive articles. It is as free and independent as the podcast itself, and it aims to help you responsible technologists build a greener digital world one bite at a time. <laughs>